This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. That's it, people. ComicBookClick.com is the one stop for all things Comic Book Click, our merchandise, our articles, and every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. Visit ComicBookClick.com and remember, you, yes, you are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you can only be here for one reason that's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comicbookclick.com and as always i am never alone sir please introduce yourself i am dan the comic book man dan the comic book man is here and we got we got some valentine's day hangovers going on over here dan it's a lot of love still in the air you know the you dust know, that's why you have to have the hair of the dog you know Always have the hair of the dog when it comes to hangovers. Oh dear! Don't find your your uh, your love at the bottom of a bottle. That's all I'm saying. Only breakups are there. <laughs> Only breakups are there. But we're not here to talk about breakups, or maybe we are. We're here to talk about love in general, uh, uh, as it permeates through the DC universe. We are here to talk about DC's love is a battlefield, and it just makes me think. Then, like in general, you know, I feel like we're young, and you will always be young. And heartache to heartache, we stand. You know, no, no promises or, or demands. Uh, that is love is a battlefield, and that's true. I think that's true. Pat love Benatar said it said yep. it herself. Um, this is an eighty page one shot that follows some of DC's characters on the most romantic of days. It came out on February ninth. 2021 and the official synopsis from dc is barely a synopsis all it says is blam crack pow what's going on here blam crack pow and what is going falling on in here? love falling in love is rough even for dc's greatest watch as batman and catwoman wonder woman and steve trevor mr miracle and big barda and the rest of your otps not too sure what that is fight in vain against the all-powerful forces of romance and supervillains even Amanda Waller fights the urge to bail on her mystery date. We guarantee that this Valentine's Day, someone taking a shot to the heart from Cupid's bow. What did you think of DC's Love is a Battlefield, Dan? That was a lot more heartbreak than there was love, really. Like, I get with, with the title, but man, this stuff was sad. There were some sad stories in here. Yeah, there was. We've covered a lot of these anthologies, and um, some of them are popular in general but people tend to stay away from these you know 10 story uh anthology series because for the most part they don't have lasting effects on the on the universe they usually just have something to say about a character or a theme um when it comes to the anthologies that we've done joker and stuff like that how, how does this one rank oh this was way better yeah way, way easier to read way more fun to read yeah there was some you know is it the diversity? Stuff. Is it the different? It was definitely the different cast of superheroes with their respective love interests, and yeah. both happening to be their own like standalone characters. So it's like it's not like it was one person holding above all everybody else. Like you got to see different people's sides of love and right. romance. Yeah, whole host of writers, whole bunch of artists, and story different stories. Um, 
from different corners of the DC Universe, which I thought was incredibly interesting. So we're going to sit here, we're going to tackle some of these stories, uh, full spoilers ahead. And even if you haven't read this series, or I don't know how you're listening at this point, but even if you haven't read this series, um, I think just hearing this conversation about some of these uh, iconic couples in DC uh, is, is going to be a fun ride. So let's tackle this DC's Love is a Battlefield. Uh, first story is Batman and Catwoman in perfect matches with the writer being Christos Engage and the artist being Zermanico, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, this is all post the infamous uh, Batman Catwoman yes, failed wedding. Uh, but these characters have kind of been doing this dance for like, 80 years for, for, you know, almost as long as the character has been around. Turns out Batman number one is when uh Catwoman, uh, then known as the cat actually debuts. So that tension and all that stuff has been baked into these characters for a while. You know, that Catwoman was in the Batman TV series with Adam West. You know, they made sure that she was a staple in that. Uh, one of my favorite Batman adaptations, Batman returns has Catwoman in there. Um, they're always playing with that, idea of Catwoman being, you know, a villain for the most part, or at least debuting as a villain, um, but having this soft spot for Batman, and then Batman being so hardline against villains, but having this soft spot for Catwoman. One of the biggest series to dive in to this romance was Batman Hush, yeah. which we read. Yep. Uh, that goes so far as for him to tell her who his, who his secret identity is. Which was a huge moment there. And then, you know, that little breakup that they went through. But they've had Elseworld stories where they've had um, children. Um, like I said, even Nolan's take has Catwoman in it. We got Catwoman coming up. Oh, with, yeah, and the Matt Reeves. So we Kravitz. One. Yeah. Yep. So these characters and this love isn't going anywhere. We actually tried or attempted to do an entire um, Bat Cat episode. I think it got lost in the Speed Force. But me and Yogi have spoken about. Again, this weird dance that they do and whether or not they, they are meant to uh, be together in general. But let's get into this story here. So uh, Catwoman is invited to the wedding of the supervillain Maxi Zeus, who I really had first seen in the Harley Quinn animated show. So this was interesting. Turns out there's this character called Maxi Zeus and he has no superpowers at all. He's crazy and he's a historian and he thinks he's a descendant of Zeus. Uh, That's but <laughs> what? yeah, yep. That's one of them golden age, uh, you know, cycles. I thought he had back powers. So I guess he has no powers. No, nope. well, not a, not to my knowledge. Um, <laughs> literally, when I looked him up, it was like uh, historian, like powers and abilities was like historian and strategist or something like that. Uh, but there might be other versions that have actual powers. But they attend this wedding. Uh, well, Catwoman, she's invited. She attends this wedding. A colorful affair featuring Gotham's greatest villains on the guest list. Um, as her plus one, she decides to take old Matches Malone. Matches Malone. Oh, um, Bruce Wayne's longtime undercover identity in hopes of blending in with the criminals at the old shindig. Things seem to uh, be going well with Catwoman, leading Bruce through what she deems is appropriate villain behavior during the party. Uh, including uh, tearing it up on the dance floor, until Riddler notices that someone placed a tracker on him. <laughs> he implores he implores the uh, other villains to check and accuses Matches Malone of trying to set them up. Because Matches was the only person that touched his cane since the time he found that uh, 
tracker. Yes. So that polka dot man smoking a cigarette. At the very least, he's using his powers of deduction. This Riddler, you know. Uh, we've seen some failures of that character. Uh, Hush, we just mentioned. <laughs> so I'm glad that in this, he's, he at least, you know, knows what's going on. Catwoman takes the fall, saying it was her idea to rob all the villains at the party. Angered by the interruption of his party, Maxi Zeus demands they settle this with trial by combat. And the villains oblige. In the fray, Matches disappears, but Batman suddenly shows up to help save the day and round up the villains. Later that night on the rooftop, Catwoman and Batman discuss their failed wedding and how full commitment to this relationship would cause either to fail at being their best selves. Batman jokes about villains always going big before diving off the roof. What do you think about this story? And what do you think about this idea that if they're together, they'll never be able to be their best selves? So all they get to do is like sneak out and have these these moments. I feel like if if they continue this, Batman will never be with anyone, right? Like if, no. if they don't commit and be together. And Tom King, you know, he's been writing his Batcat stuff. I actually haven't read it. I don't know what in which direction he's uh, taking them in. But um, yeah, what do you think about this lack of commitment, this lack of follow through? Um, they either have to commit or they have to like literally cut all ties because neither one will ever be truly happy. I mean, I guess that's the whole point. Is that Batman can't truly be happy. Right. He can have his moments of happiness and bliss and he can have them, but he could never truly be happy. Yeah. That's why he doesn't actually, like, yes, now, but that wasn't through his circumstances. He doesn't have actual kids because he can't right. be a, a father and a family. Well, man. they never go through him like raising the baby, like actually, you know, yeah, like raising the baby be a, a, and, and, and uh, you know, going through that day to day. The Batman responsibilities are a lot. And um, it's crazy because there's these two characters have so much chemistry. They're everywhere. Like I said, they're all over the comics. They're in the <laughs> uh, films. Um, and like I, they played around with whether or not these two will get together. This is another chapter in that. This is another playful um, adaptation of that. Um, Tom King did a Elseworlds. One of um, it was one of the annuals for Batman. Uh, that Yogi loves that actually goes into like a future version of those two and something in this uh, does something very similar. I I, I, I thought it was fine. <laughs> I think like the closest you'll ever get to Batman and the Catwoman committing is Nolan's Dark Knight Rises ending. Yeah. Where Batman yeah. had where Bruce Wayne literally had to give up Batman and Gotham. Right. And his entire every he had to fake his own death just to be happy with Catwoman. And not tell Alfred. <laughs> just just give him a little nod and a wave. And... Yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens sometimes. Um, we have the next. We have Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor in Bittersweet. Oh, I was a, this is what this is when I was hooked. This this story is when I became fully hooked. I was like, yeah, I'm invested in this. So this is from writer Crystal Frazier with artist Juan Gideon, I believe. I hope I'm saying that right. Gideon looks like Gideon. Um. So these two. So uh, Trevor first appeared in the very same story that Wonder Woman did. Uh, All-Star Comics number 8 in 1941, and he played an integral role in her origin and supporting cast. Uh, Trevor was a U.S. Army uh, intelligence officer whose plane crash-landed on the Amazon's Paradise Island. There, young Princess Diana helped nurse him back to help and gradually uh, fell for him, which we see all this take place in the Wonder Woman film, in the uh, Wonder Woman animated, uh, you know, direct-to-DVD um 
origin film for that as well. So Steve Trevor is very much tied into Wonder Woman, literally. No, that's it's, from the inception. Yeah. Um, it's there, that's like, it's like the Jim Gordon of it all, or like the Gotham City of it all. It's like you can't have Wonder Woman without Steve Trevor. And what's interesting is this story plays with some stuff that was going on in the New 52 because in the New 52, they had Superman and Wonder Woman paired off for some reason. Uh, When they started everything from scratch, they put those two together. Um, And at one point, I think Steve Trevor was being taken over by something evil or whatever. And he just starts to like you know, spout off about like, how could I ever match up to anything you've ever done? Yes. Yes. And I was, that's what I got up to when I was reading the 50, the new 52, the Jeff Johns justice league. Yeah. I, yeah. I got up to where Steve Trevor was like this bag. And I was confused as hell. I was he like, was what is out going get, on? Yeah, I think he was probably working for Amanda Waller's, um, justice society of America. I could be getting that wrong. Not just society. The other just league of America. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they kind of went back to that with this, but as the plot goes, um, Steve Trevor takes Wonder Woman on a date, promising to pamper the Amazon, and their date gets ruined by longtime Wonder Woman villain, the Blue Snowman. I did not know this, but apparently long time. Uh, like I said, she debuted in 1941. This character comes from 1946. And Blue Snowman is a woman disguised as a man who uses the invention of Blue Snow, a special form of precipitation that freezes everything it touches. That was the uh, canonical version of that character. Steve does his best to defend his woman, but when Snowman sends a beam towards him, Wonder Woman uses the lasso of truth to stop him from falling off the building. When doing, um, oh, uh, while doing so, Blue Snowman freezes Diana's hand, so she is stuck holding the lasso on the other end. With both bound by the lasso of truth, Steve starts to let uncomfortable truths slip out during battle, like how they can never have a simple date and how he feels the need to compete with her extraordinary life and the people in it. Wonder Woman airs her own frustrations with man's world and men needing to compete for everything. In a vulnerable moment, Steve confesses that he thinks that they're only together because he was the first man she ever saw. That kind of broke my heart. Yeah, that one. That kind of broke my heart. I've actually said that. Not not those words, but something similar in relationship. Like, I think I was just the next up. Like, I was just the first one once yeah. you, once the smoke cleared. Uh, and I don't. Yeah, it, it sucks not to feel chosen, you know, or or to not feel that way. And I I think Wonder Woman's anger is that she feels that she didn't do anything intentionally to make him feel that way, right? So it's insecurities. But a lot of it is insecurity. Right, so I guess just affirmations. I guess he should. He, he just. She, she should just tell him. Well, if that's him. his love language. He should tell her that that's my love language. Well, at least he probably doesn't even know. Yeah, that's true. That's but yeah, true. sometimes some people just need reassurance that they know, like you can have anything you want. It's like it's like rich, it's like being a poor person and you're dating like the richest chick in the world. Yeah, and she wants you. Right. Yeah, but there's still that little thought in your head where it's like, well, I mean... You're talking about Aladdin, right? That's what, you said, that's what, that's what you're talking about? Oh, I was, pull, I was pulling some things from my real life, but okay, okay. Aladdin. I mean... <laughs> but it's all that. It's there. It's like, I, you can I'd have anything you, you want. I'd never call you a street rat, bro. Well, thank I'd you. Never, I'd never call you Because you look closer. That's what, you know what I'm saying? That's what it is. Uh, um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I think it was, it was kind of cool that he, in his truth, like his truth... At first, was very angry or very anger based, and then it kind of goes over to being vulnerable, and then he kind of hardens up and says, "I get angry because it's easier than getting scared," and I've also yeah. been there as well. Yep, 
that that's when it started getting real. They they uh, end up, you know, forgiving each other, and together they're able to dis- dispose of and unmask their villain, who they mistake for a girl. The villain admits that they don't identify with a specific gender, and confesses to attacking on Valentine's Day because they hate how alienated the holiday makes them feel. Suddenly, one of the patrons uh, tries to reach out to the villain by admitting that they are gender fluid, which makes Snowman feel they have a lot to process now that they know that they aren't alone, and now that they know that gender fluid was is an actual term. After their night of telling truths, Steve and Diana share a kiss and choose to keep the lasso on a bit longer. So you said this was the one that... Uh... This, this is what hooked me, because it was like, there was a whole fight going on, but I could really see this going down the way it went down. Like, you know, like... Yeah. The, and the writing was just very, like, you know, relatable. You you know how I am when it comes down to that kind of relatable writing. Like, once you hit me, that's it. You hit me. Right. The, the, you, there's no unhitting me. The pain is there. Or whether good or bad, the pain is there. What do you think about this relationship as it, as it stands? As it, you know, I think as you've this, seen it. I think this is another relationship that it's like, it's getting pushed more out there like it was always there yeah like it was it's funny enough it was always there but it was never really there like that when it, well growing up for me at least whenever you see uh, wonder woman getting marketed as someone with a love interest it's always superman right growing up the love interest for wonder woman was always superman those were the, always the ones whether they did it in the comics or not that's how they always marketed it it was always Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman in this weird love triangle, but they were never still Lois right there. No, you're saying they were never going to bring up Steve Trevor as a as a, as a, as a list a, character name. Yeah, exactly. Because he's not as interesting as Superman. But then but Chris that, Pine comes along, Patty Jenkins comes along. He starts getting into more. Like they start putting him in the comics more and in the the movies now more. So yeah, I, I think really they're going them. over her origin more in general, which it was a bit. It muddy. only took eighty years. It was a bit muddy. It got you know. There's been different versions of it. I think they've been trying to solidify. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure the brain trust had a lot of good reasons for pairing up him, uh, a Superman and and Wonder Woman in the New Fifty Two. Um, but I think it does throw off both of those characters a bit because I think their love for humanity, in its truest forms, in Lois and, and well, hear Trevor, me out for a second. Look what happens when you do something like that with in the boys. It, with Queen Queen Maeve and Homelander in season one, right, where those two were, were definitely in a relationship only because marketing said it would look good, right, which is probably a like take that, on, because they on were that there, yeah. they were in a relationship. You could see that they were exes, yeah, but it was definitely set up marketable wise. Homelander doesn't know how to be that kind of way, and then what could happen is Queen Maeve ended up losing a love interest that she truly loved herself. Yeah, and I see it the same way with you know, with this. When you pair up Wonder Woman with Superman, you're just losing the genuine love story that you can give us with a super, with a Wonder Woman run, right? With Trevor, it's true. And he doesn't have to play a damsel in distress, or he could. You could have them both together, like Wonder Woman, the first movie that came out, No Man's Land. Right. You can give me tag teaming like that in No Man's Land together, all day, and I will read it. Do you think? I like I, I wonder sometimes maybe I'm opening a can of worms, but like this idea of Steve feeling insecure, that's kind of just like a bit of machismo, right? Because I don't think I don't think we've or maybe it's just because it hasn't been written that way. I don't think I've ever heard a uh, like a, a female tell like a male hero like, oh, how am I supposed to compete with Wonder Woman and Starfire and you know and these people. So it's. I feel like it's more. Well, this was also written by a woman. Lois, <laughs> Lois was never 
jealous of any of the girls? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. You know, I, I might I might be a novice when it comes to this subject matter in particular, but I do wonder if and I, I do think it would come. I'm not saying it's a it's a I'm not saying it's an anti-man message. So what I'm trying to say is I think it's one of the things not explored. Where if Steve Trevor, you know, is used to doing the the chivalry and all this other kind of stuff, sometimes when a woman is independent and strong, you then don't know. Like in Ricky Bobby's terms, you don't know what to do with your hands. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You're so used yeah. to being overly, like, because you want to be, you believe that's the role that you're supposed to play. Um, protective. Especially and, Steve Trevor type. Right. Yeah. And then you uh, pull that back a bit and with somebody who doesn't need those things. Um, I think the what I actually think the middle ground is you let him do some of the things that makes him feel good, and then the other things you say don't ever worry so about. So she's supposed these to things. never open a jar of pickles just to make him feel. On the occasion, could you imagine? On the occasion, he he'd be smiling from ear to ear. If just one day she was like, "Hey, Steve, <laughs> by the way, I'm just a little tired. You mind opening up the jar of pickles?" Oh, well, she plays it off like that, okay? Because you know if I'm dating Wonder Woman and, and, a, and a fresh, woken up, you know, ready to go about her day, Wonder Woman comes up to me and asks me to open a jar of pickles. I'm gonna look at her like she's like, you know, patronizing me. Right. It's like, are you patronizing me? I can't tell. <laughs> Doing it very well. <laughs> I, 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 I do think when it comes to a situation where, the, where the, you, I think he said he just feels the power imbalance, and people do in relationships all the time. Sometimes emotional power is, is just as strong as physical power. He could what, what they what. And I, like, it's, like it's another, it's not an anti-man message, but maybe if if we think that's all we can offer to women is strength and protection and power, and, and right, what are we really? Who are you when you get stripping away from the things? And that like that's what it's going on with Steve Trevor, right? Once he got stripping away of all he knows, who is he? But that, what's also interesting about that, what you can we can pull on this thread a little bit more, is. The the reason why he might not know who he is or how he fit, fits, again, is because, like we were saying, the gender norms. So yeah. then you throw in a villain who literally is screaming the things that are inside of Steve. We say, you know, this person is saying, I, I don't identify with being a man or a, a woman. What do I do? What am I supposed to do in this world that seems to be set up for men and women? Um, and so it's it's an overall commentary on not not... Tradition, I guess, lack of tradition. Tradi- yeah, not fitting into gender norms or norms. Yeah, norms. Yeah, I'm a girl, but I don't want to cook and clean. I'm a guy, but I don't want to kill the bug. And you know, I hey, me personally, I'm afraid of bugs too. Right. But I'm expected to kill bugs if I'm in a relationship with a girl. Right. But I'm, I don't want to kill bugs. You know, right. like I don't like it. <laughs> so. Man, do you have the last of the truth now? You learned some oh, truths. You learned yeah, some truths out. Let me take this out. off me right now. Let me there just take this off. <laughs> you learned some truths out right now. Speaking of truths, or maybe lies, our, thor- our third story deals with Amanda Waller and Perry White in Loose Lips. This I, I had no idea that <laughs> these two were even a thing. I think they're not a thing. This is like a sleeper random uh this didn't thing. have to be in here, to be honest with you. I'm right. not saying it's a bad story. I just felt like of all the characters in DC's romance angle, we didn't need this. This is, this is the story that actually made me... Like, I thought it was fine. I thought it was funny. I thought it was entertaining. Um, but this was the story that made me start thinking, they, they ha- there's other... Like, they could have put another couple in this, but, you know, teach his own. So, and... I think I like this more because I could also picture this happening between um, Lawrence Fishburne and Viola Davis. <laughs> that that would be amazing, honestly. But um, 
Perry White asks Amanda Waller to meet him at a coffee shop on Valentine's Day to discuss important matters. He accuses her of sending her suicide squad to San Jacinto to overthrow the government and says he has evidence that Waller is behind it all. Waller blatantly denies her involvement and asks what this is really all about and he reveals he sent Lois to San Jacinto to cover the coup but she's gone radio silent and he doesn't know where she is. He mentions Lois gave him photos of the squad on a USB device and should anything go wrong, um, oh, should anything go wrong, but Waller's constant denial causes him to get into a heated debate that makes Perry spill coffee on himself. As he goes to get cleaned off, Waller picks up the USB and plugs it in, asking her hacker if there's any evidence, but there isn't. Perry was bluffing. When Perry comes back, they get into another argument that Waller turns into a kiss and they bid each other adieu. As the story ends, we see that Deadshot was watching the interaction from afar, ready to take out Perry if he needed to, and the bigger reveal that Lois was the waitress all along, and all of this was so they could hack into Waller's walkie-talkie conversations with Task Force X. Like, every, everybody was just playing everybody in this one. Yeah. this Everybody was just playing Did games. Did I say the everyone. writer and artist for this? <laughs> the writer is Mark Russell, and the artist is Nick uh, Varela. I thought this was fine. This felt like a commercial in the middle of this, like a little, like a nice little fun. You know how the like a short, yeah. You know that's how this felt. I think the most entertaining part of it was get, cutting back to Task Force X. X, sorry, cutting back to Task Force X. That's hard to say, uh, so many times. Um, and seeing Harley and Boomerang, I thought that was really funny. Uh, watching them do their coup, and I actually think like part of this, if not this exact storyline, is going to be the movie storyline. <laughs> I think we're going to a South American country and I'm pretty sure that and there's going to yeah. be a coup uh, and they're sending the Suicide Squad down there. I, I That's what I think is going to happen. Oh, God. Uh, so, so maybe I think this they're touching topical. on it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's going to be topical. It'll, it'll be topical eventually. And then when we cover it, we'll be ahead of time twice. Always ahead of time, bro. Been to the future. Remember that? Um, this one... Was that about love? Is there any love in there? There was a kiss, George. There yeah. was a kiss. Sometimes love is business. Is that what that is? Sometimes love is business and dropping coffee on you. Ah, but let's talk about young love, Dan. Oh, I'm ready to talk about young love because we have here at our, what was our third story? Fourth. Fourth story. Yes, a fourth story. A Tale of Two Titans. And this was written by Marquise Draper. And the artist is Pop Mon. I definitely want to try and say that right. M-H-A-N. Pop Mon. Mm-hmm. Pop Mon. And so Kid Flash is going on a date with Red Arrow. Yeah, so a little bit of background on this. This Kid Flash is Wallace West, the new 52 version of Wally. Uh, when, like the I one said, you see the, on the TV and all that? Yeah, on the Flash but, but that, I think the Flash TV show is supposed to be the regular <laughs> Wally, too. So uh, they're trying to get best of both worlds. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so in the new 52, they didn't introduce the Wally that we know, the redhead Wally. They introduced who they now call Wallace to distinguish the two. Um, so Wallace West was in the New 52 and he was Kid Flash. So when um, Old Boy came back, when our, our boy um, Wally came back, they kind of made him Wallace. And um, I, I had been reading the beginning of this Teen Titans run because Damien was on it. And then I kind of lost the thread. When I was reading it, it seemed like Damien and Red Arrow were a thing. But... Um, 
I don't know if he's still on the team. I don't think he's Robin anymore, so I don't think he's still on the team. And uh, so I guess this might have happened. Another thing that you that might have been confusing is there's a story in the very beginning of DC Rebirth for the Flash where a big Space Force storm hits Central City and a bunch of people get powers. One of those people that get oh well, once they realize that there's so many people who got powers, they uh, Barry creates a training center for these speedsters so that they're not all running around crazy. One of these speedsters is this girl Avery. Roundhouse. Um, no, Roundhouse is one of the Teen Titan members. Oh. Avery, the chick that uh, is helping Wally with the purple hair. Yeah. Oh, that's her name. This chick. This. Yeah. This girl right here. She's also. A spe- I thought her she's name was speedster. Roundhouse. She's a speedster. No, no, no. He says. She says something about like I'm your best friend. He goes, "Who? Roundhouse." Oh. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's oh, trying to play her. Dick. Yeah, he's trying to play her. And apparently, from what I got from this comic or this story, I guess Avery's been friend zoned and. Kind of digs Wally. That was so crazy. Yeah, so the, there was a whole little... You see uh, Avery and uh, Kid Flash talking. This dude is, like, scared for it. Like, he's, like, nervous on his date. Hey, was this, does this outfit look good? Does this outfit look good? You uh, cut to it, and then you see um, Red Arrow making sure her reservations for the restaurant is still there. Crush is playing with her uh, arrows. Yeah. And, and almost kills her. Little, little Lobo. Little Lobo. That is that. That's what. That's who that's she Lobo's is. Daughter. That's, that's Lobo's daughter. I'm looking at the face like, yo, either you're Lobo's daughter or you're uh, somebody with clown makeup. <laughs> Lobo's daughter. So then, yeah. So on the way to uh, Wawali's, I'm, I'm assuming Wallace is shopping because those look all like clothes. Right. While he's shopping for some clothes, he runs into Avery, and they have to stop Mirror Master. And who is this? Uh, Golden Glider. That is Leonard Snart's uh, sister. <laughs> um, uh, Does the little sister that, that he that he was always talking about in like uh, Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah, they um they do an episode of The Flash, I believe, where they get the Golden Glider. They think she's innocent, and she becomes the Golden Glider. She gets a gun, you know, and all that kind of stuff. She's just as bad as the rest of them. But uh, yeah, she's with the old old Mirror Master. Those two, to, you know, canoodling. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't. Uh, uh, what's it called? Trick me with those uh, clothes. Yeah. I know Mirror Masters get up anywhere. So yeah, they're talking about the date. He's all nervous, and then um, they stop Mirror Master and Golden Glider, and like the funniest thing in the world, Golden Glider says, "Girlfriend, you are so friend zone." <laughs> yeah. She's like, "Tell me about it." Yeah, and then we get to um. Then we get well, to- now that I look back at the story, uh, you know, she's like, "You know, you go do what you got to do." And he says, "Thanks, dude. You're the best." Yeah, he does. Go I don't think friends. I've ever called a girl, dude. Thanks, dude. I've, I've only called girls, dude, when I've when I'm mad at them. That's what I'm saying. Like, like so if, for him to be like, "Thanks, dude. Thanks, bro." Stuff like that. No, it's like you know, I romantic. Have, There's no been, romantic thing there. Holy I'm, hell! I speak romance to any girl because I'm single, so I can. I speak romance most of the time. But yes. if I, but if I speak romance to a girl and no romance is given back, then I start calling you, dude, yeah. man, bro. And I've done that before to a couple of girls. Like, yeah, no problem, dude. Why are you calling me dude? Don't worry about why I'm calling you dude. All right, dude. You're now, there's dude. always a constant battle in the world, right, when it comes to this term, friend zones, right? There's a, there's a war going on. In, in, a lot of people in think this... that there's no such thing as the word friend zone. And a lot of people think that it's a, that there's an inherently negative connotation to being in the friend zone. What I say is that you can't date everyone, right? No, <laughs> you no, can't date course. everyone, and you shouldn't date you're, a person you're not a hundred percent. You're not a hundred percent committed to, and so those people are. They're not. I feel like the friend zone thing is like a people see it as like a purgatory, like you're being sent somewhere 
but there's nothing in my experience. Like, it's kind of is. This is what this is what in my experience the friend zone has been led to be. The friend zone has been led to be where any girl that has ever friend zoned me has eventually dated me through her terms and conditions. Right. So she puts you on the side on the bench. <laughs> yeah, you're literally benched, and it's like not just wait a minute. Don't worry about it. Months go by, years can go by. Don't worry about it. Just sit there. Just wait. Being when you're being when you get friend zoned by a girl, from my experience, right. they want you to wait for them. They they don't want you with anybody else, but they don't want to be with you. I've been friend zoned right. by three girls in my life, all I've dated years or months, mostly years later. Right. When all the guys that they have dated have all broken their heart. Oh, I still have my friend Dan here. Hey, do you want to go out? Do you want to try it finally? Are you ready? Do you think you're you know, that's what my experience friend zone is. But if you're talking with a girl and she automatically just doesn't want any sort of romance, sexual, anything with you, that's not friend zone. It's a rejection. Move on. But I have been not rejected, but literally benched. But I th- also think there's an inherent, uh, uh, you know, uh, positive quality to having female friends if you're a guy and vice oh, versa. Oh, 100%. Um, that you don't necessarily see in a romantic way. Um, and so... I could also see a female feeling the same way about it. Like, you know, I don't, I may not see this person romantically, but it would be cool to have them around. But then you get a lot of that, oh, well, if I'm not good enough to handle romantically, then no, I don't want to talk about anything. You know, I don't want to talk about, (laughs) which is a weird, we can't be in that position too, right? You can't say, uh, you know, if you see me romantically, then I'm down. But if you don't see me romantically, I don't want to talk to you. No, you can't, you, that, that's messed up. Right. That that's a messed up thing. If like if you know if you get to if you talk to a girl or a guy and you get to know them and then you think you feel some kind of romance there, but the romance is not mutual and they know for a fact it's not like somewhere down the line you know for a fact the romance isn't mutual. Stay there. For, they're still a good person. Yeah. Just because they don't want to be with you doesn't make makes them any less of a good person. Right. Makes you less of a good person. So. Right. And and I think you have to go in there with the good intentions. You know, always, with the good intentions always. of wanting that person to be happy regardless uh, and not taking anything personally. I, romance is very hard not to take personally. Uh, the friend zone, I think, is also something pr- pro- people probably have an issue <laughs> taking personally. But again, everyone has the right to free will. Everyone has the right to choice. What they make, you know, what just because uh, you're not the, their chosen flavor of ice cream doesn't mean there's somebody out there who doesn't like your particular flavor. 7.8 billion people. On yeah. this planet, and you're gonna be worried about that one person. Yeah, they just like they like tuna flavored ice cream. You feel me? See, that's the problem. I definitely am tuna flavored ice cream, so it's hard oh, to find someone that's gonna like tuna flavored ice cream. A cat. There you go. One step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time. Oh, but, uh, look at my boy Wallace's lineup. My boy has a fade. Yo, he got the fresh little design and right on the side the part, of the temple. A, he got a lightning bolt part in his head. That's what I'm saying. Right down the temple. Talk about this date, bro. All right, so he shows up literally like five minutes before showtime, right? And because he can, and Red Arrow he's a, already, he's a speedster. yeah, he's but Red speedster. Arrow already knows that he that he just showed up because she yes. smells rubber, and she's also uh, uh like Oliver Queen's sister, so like they got you know. Oh, that's that's supposed to be Thea. I think that's em- Emiko, the one that recently showed. Emiko, up. yeah, yeah. Uh good old any Asian girl would have because she definitely looks Asian in the drawing, right? Any Asian girl would have Emiko at the end. Emiko, you, yes. You know that you know they're the best. Kimiko, Emiko, these <laughs> chicks are the best. So, so they have their little date. They're talking over um archery. Right. And then on on the on looking, you see 
good old little Avery just sigh and run away. I can hear that, that hello, sigh, hello, yeah. no, the hello song from <laughs> Lionel Richie in the background. She looks so dejected. And this this feels like the only story that might continue into actual continuity, to be honest. This seems this like an actual like, continuity. Like they're setting up for something this here, seems which like could they be took it from the run. It's like, hey, let's just grab this one issue, just yeah, throw it in them, there real get quick. Get them there and, and yeah. So we go from one couple that had that seems to be just starting what they're doing to another couple getting ready to... to at, oh, again. listen, listen. This story, this story was literally a page turner. And yeah. thank God you can see right here. This is how it goes. It, you just turn the page. So when I got where was it? When I got here, I'm reading. I'm reading. Boom! I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does change up on you. Oh my God! So this is the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy story. Yeah, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy in the beginning. Uh, Tim Seeley as writer, Rebecca Isaacs as artist. And like we discussed in the, in last week's episode, Harley and uh, Ivy date back to Batman the Animated Series, where Ivy befriended Harley after the whole Joker breakup thing, gives her an immunity to toxins, which also gives her immunity to her stuff. And um, they befriend each other. Same thing. Similar thing happens in the comics. Uh, they stayed away for a very long time, making their relationship canonical. But in 2017, they shared their first kiss. So they are on the books, if you will. They went, uh, you know, like the Injustice version. Um, I believe also they had a kiss, like Elseworld versions. They would yeah. never commit to making it, you know, Canonic version. Yeah. But now we have this story as a celebration. We have Harley Quinn, uh, the television show, as a celebration of that relationship. Um, which uh, another reason why I, I liked tackling this uh, story of one shots because I heard this was going to be in it. And after covering Harley Quinn seasons one and two, this feels almost perfect. But uh, enough of me waxing poetically about it. Get into oh, this story because I know God. you want to. So, so artistically, it's beautifully drawn. This is the second best one that, like, drawn wise. Yeah. Nothing in this book, I'm sorry to say, holds a candle to the artwork in Sergeant Rock. The artwork in Sergeant Rock. You is, like that? Oh, that hits me right in my Dave Gibbons sweet spot. Like that was so reminiscent to Dave Gibbons. But anyways, so <laughs> it starts off with, with with Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, but it's it's Doctor Harlan Quinzel actually. Yes. So I'm assuming that this is going to be like one of those non-canon things where she immediately goes from Joker to they took her off Joker as a patient and gave her Poison Ivy. Right. So they're talking about all the things that they used to do. It's like, hey, remember when I was in Arkham and then they took me off a Joker and then they put me to you? And then they're talking about, hey, remember the first time we actually met in our costumes where we were robbing a bank together? And Oh, no, when we were robbing the same bank at the same time. And uh, they were just going through all these reminiscences of, of Harley saying, remember when I went when, when you found me at your place crying over Joker from my first breakup? And uh, Ivy's like, yeah, to be honest with you, I'm not really good at, like, you know, consoling a person. So I'm sorry for the way I tried to comfort you. Because and that's you... the thing. All of Ivy, all of Harley's, like, voice bubble thing, she's, like, incredibly animated. Like, she, this, she... Hey, remember when we used to do this? And yeah, she's thinking about... And she doesn't, like, have all the facts right. So, like, Ivy would be like, well, actually, what happened was... or Well, and you forget about what happened right after that was. <laughs> but I like their... I like their balance. Yes. You know? Very much so. And so you you get you get these little page turners like one one minute you have uh, regular Har Harlan Quinzel being a doctor with Poison Ivy as like a reluctant patient. Then you get a bank robbery scene. Then you got Harley crying. Her makeup is like f like falling down her eyes. 
bunch of uh, Venus flytraps everywhere. Then you have like Harley and Poison Ivy escaping a blown up Wayne Tech building, and like yeah. Batman shaking his fist in the air like a <laughs> like a, like a father that says "Get off my lawn." Uh, Nightwing killing me with the with the smile and the little uh, green uh, whatever whatever that kisses from a uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, that's also when they kind of get explicit a bit because they talk about how they said that Robin got distracted because Ivy said that her and Harley were going to spend the night together yep. in bed together. And uh, Harley says, and we did, you know, or whatever she said. Um, what's her face? Says, I love how Harley says you use that sexy lady voice. Right. So Ivy says, and then that night you thought I was serious. Harley says, I woke up with the worst rash, like everywhere. I was going to go into anaphylactic. Um, but yeah, they, yeah. And that's <laughs> they when she got came together. up with the, that's when she came up with the antidote or the, yeah, the immunities the immunity. so, so she could be able to touch poison ivy's skin. Right. They, uh, talk about the time where they were invited into so the. So wait, up until that point, all of those moments sounded like something that could happen in this timeline. It sounded like stuff that was happening canon wise. Yeah. Right. And so this one says, you know, then we started getting into some weird stuff because, uh, Hardy says, Hey, remember that ultimate crisis, which has never happened. Ultimate Crisis is not a thing. But, Mike, it could be. It could be. Totally could be, I guess, eventually somewhere down the line. And, uh, yeah, that's when they talk, when she talked about, hey, remember that time when we were, you know, we sided with Le- uh, Lex Luthor and stuff like that. And we prevented, uh, you know, them bringing back the Batman who laughs and all that kind of stuff. Oh, there. yeah, the uh, Super- uh, Superboy Prime, uh, Over Monitor. And Dark Side. So when they said that, I was like, I when I hadn't, I don't, I think I read past the Ultimate Crisis thing too fast because when they said those names, I was like, that never happened. And I went back, and no, yeah, now where they're telling stories from a future either we haven't seen yet or that takes place on another Earth. But it's interesting because now they can, the writer can go anywhere with it, right? It and doesn't then, really matter. Yep. Right. I love how Harley's like, hey, and we accidentally saved the multiverse from that reality punching anti life or whatever, Batman. And then Batman owes us one, and then then they had their, their owed one. And I like, I should have known something was different here, because if you zoom in and look at each character, one, the entire Bat family's there. Right. You have Huntress, um, the girl from uh, Birds of Prey, the silent, the one that no, can't talk. No, that's not, that's not I don't her. know who that is. No, that's some Cassie. Oh, so that's some, that's some just, that's that's some chick Robin. There's yeah, a, literally a chick Robin. Some, yeah, that's just a Red Hood Robin. is there. Yep. But look how, but if you look at Nightwing's face... Well, Bruce Batman is, is old. old. Look at Bruce. Oh no, Bruce definitely straight up has great. He he got his salt and pepper look. Yep. Even Batwoman or Batgirl looks like an act. She looks like she's in her forties. Right. And uh, what's it called? They, there was a rumble in the jungle. <laughs> uh, batarangs and spandex everywhere. That stuff gets me. So yeah. oh, it was the Lazarus seed. It was the Amazon. They were trying to save the Amazon with with Lazarus seeds. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you just turn the page, and Boom! Harley and Ivy are old women, and yep. Harley's literally on her deathbed in the hospital, and they were retelling old stories like two people. Oh my god, I can't. Yeah, I don't know if Ivy can get old. I mean, plants can get old, um, but I, I totally think she'd do this for her anyway. Age with her. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she um, withered herself on purpose, but then yeah, she says I, I created this. This is where you're gonna have to help me out. So. <laughs> she said she created Lazarus pills, capable yes. for the human biology, but plant cells can't retain memory. They like will turn human. into plants. They will actually turn they're, into their, uh, what you call it, their, um, 
their 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 brains will turn into plants. What do you call that? Gets consciousness. So, so they will grow up as con. They will grow up as conscious plants. They'll be plants. Um, they won't even but, be able to move. They but they be- won't. But in the transformation, they won't be able to remember each other. So they're literally just gonna lay there as plants, together living. It's so, <laughs> so goddamn dark. And so uh, Harley says that it doesn't matter because you know if they take these pills and they, everything gets erased, you'll have a chance to m- meet her earlier. But they won't be humans. But, but they'll be living. They'll be eternal. They'll be. I mean, their bodies will be humans, yes. But yeah. their brain. Their, how will they? They won't know how to talk. No, no. They but won't they, know how to walk. But those. Eat. Are, but I feel like those are worries of us <laughs> of us on this wavelength. I guess if you if you just live in love, I don't feel like right. You just how are they gonna love each other? They don't know. They they, they gotta remember everything. You got to like basically teach them everything. There'll be new life forms with new lives. It says. So then, and they think they'll find each other, but they be plants. I, I, living I make, plant. The people. only way I can sleep at night perfectly, especially after watching three seasons of Gamora, the only way I can make myself sleep with this kind of dour material is that they. Well, they will be able to talk and walk and eat. They'll be humans with the insides of plants. They'll be like a a weird swamp thing hybrid. Right, but they don't remember anything. They don't have to well, remember. They start anything. fighting as soon as they see each other. That would be crazy. I I I just know that this was the most saddest one of the definitely the, no. This was the most saddest down end. <laughs> I like. This, but this I is why I fell in love with comics. I liked the I liked the commitment to them as a couple. Seeing them in the old age, because you could have just done a story, you know, any story. They could have robbed the bank, and then there could have been a night of wine. They could have literally been drinking right, wine 100%. in her palace. Just, but they were literally just. We don't know where this relationship is going to go. How other writers are going to write it in the future, twenty years from now, thirty years from now. So to create almost a kind of look into a possible future for these two characters, I think is extremely interesting, and they deserve it just like any other couple. Oh, of course. Um, they had a very, very similar uh, comic, like I said, uh, one of the Batman annuals that Tom King wrote, where they we are observing a Bruce Wayne um, from another world, and he says things like, "I remember when we had that daughter, and remember, you know, when this happened and that happened, things that haven't happened yet, or." happened in another universe which allows for the writer to imagine a world where they get their happy ever after and no one can really do anything about it because <laughs> it doesn't you know it doesn't uh, interfere with anything else um we go from those uh lovers to hawkman and hawk girl and together forever writer uh written by caven K- scott with artist jose lewis and this you know this couple is fated to be together they res- they oh, that's literally there. Isn't that like part of their like origin? Yeah. Did they, go, they went over that in Legends of Tomorrow, right? That was the whole season. Oh, yeah. Finale. He kept coming and be like, we're supposed to be lovers. He's like, I don't want to be your lover. And then she, at the end, she's like, eh, I kind of want to be your lover. Poor Adam, bro. He's Superman. He's he fine. got sidelined. He's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they always meet each other. They resurrect and they always find each other. They've lived different lives as, as that's basically what this story is about. It kind of feels like Hancock got a lot of inspiration for their love angle with, yeah, with Will it Smith and, Car- and Shirley Theron with the whole Hawkman and Hawkgirl thing. Yeah. That makes Because that's what, cause there, there was that scene in the hospital where she's like that. Like yeah. she was literally pointing out all of his scars. This is when they tried to, this is when they killed you here. This is when they killed you there. But every time, but every time we keep finding each other and we keep getting less powerful, it's like, so this is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so Hawk Girl spots what she believes to be a tomb rocketing through space on a collision course for Earth. 
She asks Hawkman if he wants to check it out, and as they breach the hull of the object, they recall fondly their lives as explorers. They battle their way through security, and when they enter the control room, they see two aliens in stasis. As they comb through the ship's technology, they see that the beings are actually hooked up to the ship, and that the creatures put themselves in stasis before setting course for a final adventure. The beings figured as they rocket through space, their minds would fill with all the exotic locations of their travel, but due to a malfunction, they've gotten nothing but static for 10,000 years. <laughs> and the navigation is busted, so they're about to collide with Earth. That's not the kind of uh, vacation I'd want, but to each his own. The beings awaken <laughs> and try to attack, but Hawkman plugs himself into the ship. I don't know. He just shoved those cables into his head. Um, and the beings, oh, shove, plugs himself into the ship and the beings and yeah. imbues them with the many reincarnations he and his fated lover have experienced. Filled to the brim with new perspectives, the ship changes course. As the Hawk people fly back to Earth, they recount the looks of the alien, on the aliens' faces when they received the, that whole uh, myriad of memories. It was the faces of love. Faces of love. Which is really crazy because it's like, he puts his he hooks his brain into what their their brain would be, right? And he gives them his memories, eons of yeah. his. But that not just memories, emotions, eons of emotions that follow those memories, and those two just continue their collision at their course to just sail the galaxy. I guess they're done now, or I guess maybe something got fixed, but they were on a course to crash. Because only that love happened, they can turn save man's world. Apparently, apparently that's what happens here. But what about things that don't happen with people from man's world? What if, what if, what if there was like a planet called Apocalypse, and what if there was like a a planet called Whoa. New Genesis, and what if, what if there were people from there, and what if they fell in love? You know, like like can we get a story like that? Well, we tried to get a story like that, and then it went on to win an Eisner Award. This is true. Uh, let's get into the next one. Mr. Miracle and Big Barda in an anniversary. Writer Re Regine Sawyer and artist Rob Gullery. Now, this one is shows Big Barda. Oh, before we get into before we get into this, we got to gush a little bit about the depictions that we probably thought we were going to get when we saw this. I got so <laughs> mad. I got so mad. Um, Tom King's vision is a delight. It is absolutely fantastic. Oh, and Mr. Miracle. Uh, which I'm actually trying to talk about. <laughs> Tom King's Mr. Miracle is great, and they really dive into the the, the relationship between Barda and um, Scott as two warriors who have seen and done it all and have uh, really traumatic childhoods and really um, really messed up lives in general as as these constant warriors um, in this never ending war between New Genesis and uh, Apocalypse and stuff. So. I think there was some expectations there. There was no Mitch Jarrads on this. Uh, the art is a is a bit much. The, the, this, this is the to me. This was the worst art of the of the of, of all of the arts of all. <laughs> of, this was this felt so much like the Sunday paper funnies. Like like it felt it felt like 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 an art like an eighties Archie and Jughead when they at that point when they didn't care. Like there was. I think that was part of your visceral reaction was this idea that. How dare you make this relationship cartoonish? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know this, that that, this one looked way too cartoonish for me. Like, like under under um, Mitch and 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 King, like Barda looked like 
like a toned oh, fit yeah. Gina Carano. She looked yeah. toned. Well, uh, but someone less those, canceled. Yeah, we canceled. can't. Someone yeah, we, we can't say those names anymore. Uh, she looked like a dark-haired Ronda Rousey. Like you yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. like she had like this MMA woman's heavyweight body stature, and also Scott. Scott had this very downtrodden and defeated look. He had the bags under his, his eyes. On his face they gave him they stuff. gave him the beard and the scruffy hair, so I can't be too mad. Right. They gave uh Barta a dump truck, so I can't be too mad right, either. Right, right, so right, like right. and their love is still there. Their love is still there. that's one thing that I fear the most whenever these two now characters that you have un- what you feel like is your definitive version of those characters. They're, they're, one those two are one hundred percent my definitive characters is under King because the love, the trauma, the pain, but the I'm just trying to do good was all there. So you see them walking down what you can assume is probably Santa Monica Beach because weren't they in Cali during yeah Tom King? So this could be Santa Monica Pier, right. the boardwalk there. On the boardwalk. They have a lot of uh, shopping bags and some food. I think uh, I think they were. I think it says where they were going. They were going to get the. They're at a rent. They're at a, a rent. They went to a rental house, but they never specifically stated what. So I'm guessing a hotel. They got a hotel on the pier. It was right? their anniversary, so I guess they're on vacation. Yeah, so they, they probably got, they, uh, got closer to the ocean. They got a nice little hotel. Uh, apparently, Scott got a little extra more food than he needed. But listen, there's no such thing as too much food. Well, he said, uh, I think I think he got something else in the bag. I don't know if that's extra food. He said he got a little something extra. <laughs> so who knows? Today's their anniversary. This is their anniversary. So who knows? Yeah, that's some souvenir. There's a souvenir shop there. So I'm guessing they're on vacation. They probably went somewhere farther. Maybe they went to Florida. And then my favorite new gods pop up out of nowhere. The ones that visited Barda when she was giving birth. Was pregnant. Literally, yeah. these these three... There was three of them, right? Yep. These three went and literally visited her while she was giving birth. Right. Crazy-haired green chick. I don't remember. I feel like uh, Scott looks like a um, hipster. God, he's, just, he's not even wearing any... Uh, he's not even wearing like a Wonder Woman t-shirt. Nah, that, no Shazam that a, that t-shirt. That was a king thing. That was no, a king no, thing. No, no, Aquaman t-shirt. He made, he made t-shirt. him kind of cool putting on those shirts. <laughs> Come to man, not even a... I would have taken a Black Canary t-shirt. Do you like how quickly Scott gets dressed when everybody shows up? He's putting on his shirt. He's literally office. just in the top half of his outfit in yeah. shorts and moccasins. Yep. Just, just fighting. Like boat shoes or something. The, so they're fighting the furries or furries, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. Yep. They're the female furries. Lashina is uh, definitely one of them. Harriet. They're crashing into all the souvenirs basically got the green haired chick eating all of Scott's food and then goes straight for what they were looking for was apparently there was a weapon that could what was it could kill dark side granny goodness sent them there to get a weapon Scott had a certain weapon that they could use to kill dark side that's what they're like they were looking for and Scott saying i have no weapon but there was a yep created a new weapon right lashina that's the one i like with the bl- bands the, on her head yep i love that chick lashina She's dope. I love this line too. What kind of garbage is this organic? What kind of organic garbage is this? Yeah, because they're basically destroying this whole situation. They've come out of a boom tube, seemingly thinking that they know what that Scott's created some sort of device, and um, they don't. Scott and Barter don't know what the hell is going on, and they uh, Harry opens up one of the things, sees something kind of cool, and it's a bracelet. That uh, Scott bought her for their anniversary, which is today. And it really was a bracelet because that's what he said when it got broken. He's like, damn, that really was just a bracelet, too. 
Yeah. So uh, Barda gets tired of it, decides to take uh, whatever this dude's name is, Lashina and Harriet, and throw them in a boom tube. Right. And then continue their anniversary. Scott is very upset over the broken bracelet. Right. That really technically was the anniversary idea. Then they go to a custom jewelry shop and get a diamond. No, that see, bro- what, what happens here yeah, I'm that so is very confusing is that there is a panel where it looks like Big Barda has a some sort of that's probably the some weapon. sort of pyramid or something like that, and that I guess falls at one point and breaks alongside of the bracelet. So they decide to use parts of that to mend to make new jewelry out of. But I wasn't very clear as to what broke and when it broke. <laughs> I didn't yeah, there understand. was no, there's no, pan, there's no panel or box that shows. The only thing when... that breaks is the bracelet. Yeah, that's the that's only thing, thing that you broken. can see break is the bracelet. But at one point, she has this like purple, like upside down pyramid. It looks like, or maybe it's a mother box. Maybe a mother box broke. But again, if a mother box broke, I think it'd be a bigger freaking deal. Yeah, than, no, than that's... putting on earrings and a uh, and thing there. There is no boom tube coming out of those ears. So were you a bit let down by the Barda and Scott of it all? Well, no. Uh, when it comes down to it, they got them. Down packed, they got the one one hundred percent characteristics down packed. You got their love because you can see straight one straight first panel. They're literally in love, walking down the pier. Barda has a smile on her face. Scott has a smile on his face. They're giving. They're about to kiss each other before the boom tube opens. I guess part of the part of what you also liked about Mister Miracle, what I also liked about the you know the depiction of the couple, is that they do come from a crazy world and they kind of. It does. It's it's so crazy all the time that when things happen like this, they just kind of shrug and go with it, right? This is a little bite of that kind of reality that they live, where at any given moment, people can come out of a boom to attack you, and you have to kind of roll with the punches after that. Yep. And just like in King's Mister Miracle, Barda is the leader when it comes down to those two. Yeah. Scott was very jokey with it. Yes. Very like you. Well, Scott's from. I think she's born on Apocalypse. She was Scott's born on from New New Genesis. New Genesis, yeah. yeah. So that might be a you know where that where it, that comes from. And there. that's also the that's also the perfect thing. It's like it's a prisoner of basically essentially she fell in love with a prisoner of war. Yeah, it's like if, when good old Mike Milligan, if he ended up finding someone in the Fadas, you know, like it would have been one of those type of things. But yeah. but there was a lot of like Barta showing the assertiveness and the 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 headstrong leaderness. And Scott just, all right, I got it. Let's just do this and this and that. Yeah. I mean, she literally throws Lashina into Scott, who Scott knocks Harriet and breaks the bracelets. I was like, all of it was definitely there, but I did want the illustration. But I missed a panel. I missed a panel of something where that happened. Yep. No, I'm saying I missed a panel of where that thing oh, broke. That th- oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And how it got to there. Yeah, something, there there's someone n- forgot a page. Yeah, someone someone definitely forgot a page. There or was... maybe I'm wrong. Uh, write in. Let me know. No, because you're you're right. Right. Exam- it's in front of me right here. She has it in her hand. Yep. Doesn't drop it. And then yep. all of a sudden it's, it's smashed broken. over here. Yep. It's it, right here it's smashed. It's like, okay, I guess it's smashed. Well, speaking of smashing, let's get into two characters that have definitely smashed. Hulk smash. Oops, Our boy property. Rick Grayson. No. <laughs> My boy, Dirty Dick Grayson, and uh, Corey Anders, a.k.a. Starfire. I thought this was the most clever uh, title 
yeah. of all the stories. Exposition. I thought this was the most clever title because it's literally it. All of this writing is yeah. literally exposition. There is not nothing in their dialogue from start to finish that isn't exposition. Right. So it is. It is so clever. It's like when you know what you're doing and you do it. I can't get mad at you. So this is by writer Cinna Grace with artist Carl Mosert and. I think almost everyone has at least one version of this couple that they've seen. Whether it be in... Uh, did they fool around with this in uh, Teen Titans, the animated series? I'm... I'm oh, um... Unfortunately, from, I... Uh, I the actually, original Red X, yes, all that kind of stuff? Yes and no. Like, they had, like, I guess romance and infatuations, but they never... Because they were kids, they never yeah. they never jumped the gun and went straight relationship but you knew they dug each other there were there was a lot of episodes where someone would be all over robin and starfire would get jealous or someone would be all over starfire and robin would get jealous like it was yeah it was there but it was never oh my god they're sleeping together because they're kids yeah those two teen titan ogs have been linked for a very long time um, you know, uh, and have been together, they've they broken up. Most notably, the New 52, she goes and screws Jason. Uh, <laughs> My God. Uh, because she's like, I'm an alien, what does it matter? Um, kind of stuff. Um, I feel like when it comes to Nightwing, you either want him single, you want him with Starfire, or you want him with Barbara Gordon. Where do you sit on that whole thing? Uh, honestly, if we're going to be real honest, I do not want him with. I don't want him in the same planet as Starfire. Really, she is no good for him. Toxic. She is. She is toxic as hell. But Nightwing is too, though, man, because he be stringing people along. No, he, he has that Batman part in him. <laughs> he, has he has that. that, that he Devil has that Batman Man. in him where he does string him along. Like, listen, I can be with you, but I can't really be with you. <laughs> yeah, but, I, gotta, I gotta but, do it for Gotham. This is not the first instance. Where I have seen Starfire blatantly tell the truth to this man yeah. about who she screwed. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, hey, so uh, did you bring me to this beach because uh, you remember this was our first date? Why would I bring you here? This is where I screwed that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one guy. <laughs> like, That's she, she said, what was it? Oh, dexterous naval officer. This is where I screwed that dexterous naval officer named Mike. That would yeah, be it was very... very personal. They were getting very personal. Very, like, very, Yo, very what quick. is this? What is but yeah, this? like most recently, we and Yogi covered Death Metal. And um, in there, there was a story that when the world was going to end, Batman actually marries. Barbara Gordon and Nightwing together. Now, all that's erased, sort of, kind of, like, all that, to my knowledge, is never... You know, I wanted... I, that is my action. Um, that's who should be together, honestly. Barbara... You like Barbara and Dick together? Barbara and Dick... It's... What make... What else makes sense? I feel like that's... They're too... I, I kind of don't know if I like them together, because I feel like they're too close, but I guess that would just happen naturally. And not a too close, like, brother and sister thing, but just... No, they... No, when it comes down... Well, I know what you mean by that. They right. are way too close to the to the gunfire. They're like... They know everything. Like, there's no way you can lie to me. I'm right, Oracle. Right. I will yeah, find you. Know what you. Like, like, this would be a whole other thing. They're too close to each other, almost in a way. But let's get into this. Uh, so when Martian Manhunter and Batman send Corey and Dick to handle an alien threat in Key West, the former couple uh, do their best to get down to business without too much of a mess. Johns tries to warn them that the alien can reproduce and emit something dangerous, but his signal is cut off. They take on these alien plants of varying sizes and Dick decides they need a new plan and comes up with one. Corey gives him attitude, exclaiming that she never has any input on any of these plans and that things never change. 
She accuses him of stage managing their relationship. And when he asks her what she wants, she confesses that she wants him to take her out on dates again. So she didn't say exactly that. But when she does confess, my heart kind of broke a little bit. Bro, she said, I want, I want, I want you to take me to get a burger and a beer. With a fancy, with the fancy napkin, the cloth napkins. A craft, yeah, she said craft beer. I want you to take me to a burger with a fancy napkin and, and get a craft beer. It's like... I want to do that for you. <laughs> he I says, wanna do that he says, I want to give you all the burgers. <laughs> but what we don't know, what we don't know what's going on at this time is that there's, there's something in the air. There's more than just love in the air. This is the second one this, of these yeah, instances. hundred percent. Um, so suddenly he tells her he wants to take her on all the dates. This is when we notice that the alien plant life is admitting spores that seem to be altering Starfire and Nightwing's mind. They get super, like, soap opera romantic about, like, you can go and be the dark whatever and I'll still be by your side. And he's like, I don't want to be in the dark. I want to stay in your light. light. Your power is light. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah, they were getting very uh, romantic. And then she's like, I'll give you all the space that you need. And as she says that, the alien grabs uh, Dick uh, and tries to put him away. And he's like, I don't need this space right now. And so... We see that there's this big mother alien. So as they get romantic and try to embrace, Dick gets pulled away and almost devoured by this mother alien. But Starfire takes personal offense, offense uh, to the alien trying to eat her ex-boyfriend and shoots the alien with a power blast so strong that it destroys In this moment, I swear the only voice in my head was... The Starfire from the Teen Titans yeah. cartoon. About the ex-boyfriend? The, that line where, she, where she's like, you will not eat my ex-boyfriend. I could, <laughs> I hear that voice actress that plays the Teen Titan, that plays that Starfire in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. Yeah. I hear her voice in my head and I could just, it just, this is such a Teen Titans moment. Like, this is, looks like even when it was in the opening, like the opening of, animation the yeah. theme song like she's doing that she's like flying straight at you and shooting like these green space balls like, i always thought she was such an interesting character uh, also in doesn't her thing not work at night doesn't she have like no powers at night i think but she i think charges them during the day she might have so, less powers at night or like you know like, well, like so it's like scarce like right. okay i can only use so much right yeah yeah, yeah. the star bolts i believe are what they called i believe um, so after saving Grayson, he chooses to follow her lead and they destroy the rest of the aliens. As the dust settles, Corey takes the time to apologize and Dick gets real with her. As they get closer to one another, they receive communications from their respective teams and say goodbye. So, um, I, I love, I like how Dick Grayson is written most of the time because he's, he's usually written as the coolest guy in the room. And, uh, the, his instance of doing that here. To me, was when he was all like, um, uh, I, I like how you've gotten our human thing of passive aggression. <laughs> that was one of the best lines. <laughs> he was like, don't even worry like, about oh, it. Yeah, he's, he's like, just, congratulations, <laughs> you learned passive aggressiveness. It's like one of our one of our biggest human traits. So, uh, yeah, good on that. Um, he didn't take it all personally. He didn't take it personally. You know, she wanted to talk about it. He didn't take it personally. There, there seems to be a little bit something there still, I guess, if you're a shipper of Corey and Dick. But... They might be going into the Corey and Babs business. So, I mean, whoa. I go I, 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 I was going to say, you put going my head up real quick. Bad like, business. Uh, yeah, sorry. Don't go on autopilot, people. Um, <laughs> we're, then, we're whittling it down to the last two stories. Oh, but, uh, I'll let you take this next one. This one is Sergeant Rock finishes Enable. Up. Now, I had to do a lot of 
research on this. So Sergeant, this particular one shot of Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Rock was written by Porn Sack <laughs> Peshachate. Peshate. Perfect. It was written by someone named Porn Sack. Yes. And the art. My this was my favorite art of of the entire thing by Chris Mooneyham, mm-hmm. and wow! So Sergeant Rock is a character that dates back to like the seventies. Yeah, he's worked with the Justice League, the Suicide Squad, the Inju- like the Justice Society of America. Like he's he's a human soldier fighter. He's basically the cooler Steve Trevor, or like uh like old school Nick Fury kinda. Yep. Um, Howling Commandos, kind of, uh, you know. Yeah, because yeah, because he has his own com- he has his own company of men, his own little little band of brothers. Yeah, this art was pretty cool. So <laughs> basically, what they're doing, you're basically just following this one guy as he does like this suicide mission to the Nazis. That they're right. They right. they have to go. He has him, his uh, three other friends, and this uh, redheaded girl named. Yeah. Her name's not not Gray. Um, Anja Wagner. Anja. Yep, that was it. Anja Wagner. She was a German double agent. She kind kind of reminded me of um, what's her name? Uh, from uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Um, the the one that says fire to the thing or the actress. The blonde actress that ends up getting choked out. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Von Hammersmark. Yeah. Something yeah. Von Hammersmark. Yes. So yeah, so they basically have to go across this bridge. Or they can go around the bridge because there's this German tank there yeah. ready to take these guys out. But uh, Sergeant Rock is done losing men. And he just... He's actually with another company. He's with Abel Company in this. Um, and he's there with Private Fleischer. I can't remember the name of the general. Samuel Gray. Yeah, uh, General Gray. And uh, yeah, Sergeant Rock is there. And they have this woman there. And so like, they're like holed up. This is like their no man's land. They oh no, they're, they're, they're literally they in like this abandoned. It looks like a church or like a building. Like they, uh, they can't get to this bridge because it's like until like the sun goes down because there's like this giant German tank that's literally on the bridge itself, just yeah. ready to blow them half to hell. And at nighttime, you uh, get this conversation between Gray and Sergeant Rock about love and everything. Say about love. Yeah. It was a really. It was a really, really deep story on love, and uh, when when asked about this girl, you know what what's in what what's her fate? Yeah, Sergeant Rock's basically like, well, she's German with an accent and a woman, and a and a, and a traitor essentially. You know, like yeah. there there is no nothing anything for her. Like I love this line, like anything we anything we do, anything anything that we do will not make them see past who we were born as yeah stuff like that like and there's a lot which of which com- was it which was a it's a breadcrumb to the eventual uh reveal because um like you said they somebody had to go out and basically attract all the gunfire so that the rest of them can get free um if they caught this double agent she'd die all the information be gone uh the tide in the war would basically shift and while they all hold up, um, I, isn't it? It's Sergeant Rock that thinks that both men are interested in. Anja. No, it's Gray. Gray, Gray, th- thinks... Gray thinks Sergeant Rock, because I think I think this was from Rock's point of view. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I know this is from Rock's point. Yeah, so person. he thinks the both guys are after on uh, Anja. Anja. Yes, yes, yes. That was yes. Rock thinks both Gray and Felt Fleischer. Fleischer. Mm-hmm. 
want this one girl. Mm-hmm. And that's when Rock was talking to Gray, and Rock's like, yeah, that's when I knew he was in love. No, that's what it says right here. And that's how I knew Rock. That's how Rock knew Gray was in love with her. Okay. Yeah. Man, there's this reading. <laughs> Reading's I don't, hard. I don't, reading is very hard, people. Don't do it ever. So that's how Rock knew Gray was in love with her, because only doubt, only love raises doubts like that. Right. Which is a great, great line. Because the only reason why you care about the future or you care about anything being safe, doubts, you know, covering all your bases, is when you have something to live for. And that's love. his, and that yeah. love to him. And war, uh, you know, some people have stuff to live for, some people don't. You know, it, it takes a certain mindset to be able to go and, and do some of the things that soldiers have had to do. I've been deployed twice and I've never kicked down doors. I know people who have. Um, and it, it, it's hard. It's hard in general. And for the most part, you just think of home or you think of something bigger than yourself. Uh, and that's what gets you through. And it seems like in this situation, it's love. Um, but Fleischer decides that he's going to give them the the distraction that they need. So he knocks Sergeant Rock right in the head, butts him right in the head with his gun, and goes out there. Rock's like, no, because Rock is tired of losing people. And then this crazy war scene just out of nowhere. You, you, you see this one chick, Andre, like skyping, uh, sniping from like a vantage point. The, you, you, there's this one panel where like a soldier gets shot in the head. And then all of a sudden you see... This dude Fleischer get gunned down. He's able to take out the tank. He he throws a grenade in the tank, um, which was the, their biggest you know foe at this time. But yeah, he takes a whole hail of bullets, and um, the way Fl- um, the way Gray reacts to Fleischer's death makes Sergeant Rock think back at his thoughts. Yeah, and he's like he was looking at. He's like, oh, those those passes, those those little glances. They were in love with each other. Yeah, and I'm like, oh man, yeah, this was beautiful. I thought this was beautiful. He's like, he's holding him in his dead body in his arms while he's like crying. I'm like, damn. Yeah, I did not expect a story like this. Crazy story, but I thought it was beautifully drawn, very well written, very compelling. Yeah, and it ends basically with um. Sergeant Rock recounting how he got in the military and the questions that were asked of him, them trying to weed out homosexuals, basically. Uh, he called them um, sexual sociopaths or sexual what psychopaths. They, they believed that they were sexual psychopaths oh, because man, they used to that believe was... that homosexuality was a illness, uh, a psychosomatic illness. Uh, Yikes. And, and that you could do brain things to it to, you know, conversion to therapy and all that. Yeah, 100%. Oof. So um, he ends with the idea that. There's a bunch of people that, like, while we, while we're talking about, while we look at this story here, and we applaud all these soldiers for fighting this war, this very apparent war, this very visible war. Some of these soldiers fighting this visible war signed up for it by lying about the invisible war that they are fighting, by yeah. lying about who they are. And they're still choosing to stand alongside people who rather not be... If they knew who they were, probably wouldn't want to stand alongside them. They're sacrificing all of that um, and their identity to fight alongside people. And as some people in war, some people have fought battles like this longer than others. While, while, like you said, while that woman goes back, she might have a chance of just getting into society. That double agent, you know? She learns some English, gets a passport, things will be fine. But at that time, if they would have came back and been 
you know, real about their sexuality, it still wouldn't have been accepted, even if they fought for this war, even as veterans. And that's what that Which is the craziness about sucks. this. Yeah, you can die for this country, but you can't live here equally. Yes, yeah, that's, isn't that that's... we can't live when you? Yeah, we, by, over there you're just a body. When you come back here, you're, you're just a you're another not, body. No, but you're not the same as the other. You know, you're other. You're the other. Um, so this last story needs a little bit of homework. Uh, to get into it because it introduces not introduces it calls back to a character named Yara so in doing some research I found out that there was this planet named Zanshi uh, X-A-N-S-H-I Zanshi and um, the it, what's his face John Stewart was tasked to go to Zanshi it turns out there was a bomb there. He was supposed to go with Martian Manhunter, but he didn't. And when he gets there, there's a bomb, and what's covering the bomb is yellow. So he can't do anything about it. Oh, uh, yes, fear. And it blows up, uh, and all, everyone on the planet dies. Turns out that Yara was one of the planet's like most promising warriors, and they sent her away for training to become like a, the, the best warrior in the galaxy. And when she comes back. Planet's gone. She's the last of the, of the thing. And she finds out that a, a Green Lantern failed. So she decides that she's going to spend the rest of her life being a Green Lantern assassin and going around and killing a bunch of Green Lanterns. Makes sense. At one point, she ends up getting uh, enlisted against her will into the Love Corps, the Violet Corps. Yeah, I was just—I was going to ask her illustration when they, later in in the story, isn't that a uh, Star Sapphire? That's so she Star Sapphire is yeah yeah. Because Star Sapphire is a Violet, vi- uh, right, a Love Corps. There's a yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. So, she so that's the... all the same outfit, the same way John Stewart and Green Lantern's outfit. Yeah. It's just an actual outfit of that corp, okay. right? And what I found out was that just because you get, just because you're in the love court, doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing. So it turns out lo- the love oh, is court... Star Sapphire like a bad guy. <laughs> she is, but but it turns out that love is on the extreme end of the emotional spectrum, the same extreme end or the other side of the hate, you know. Blind love is I, as dangerous uh, and as violent I, I, and as yeah. everything as blind hate, basically. I, I agree. So uh, at one point, while she's while she's like this, uh, she eventually does find out that John Stewart does it, and they have like a blood feud. He, she wants to Ooh. kill John Stewart, but then she gets brainwashed with this whole love stuff, and they have a relationship. Um, he doesn't know that she's that that this thing has completely taken over her. She thinks some of this stuff is genuine. Eventually, she breaks this this uh, mind control, this love mind control, and goes back and goes, "You murdered, <laughs> you killed all my, I, I was set to kill you and stuff like that." Um, and I guess this story, they're bringing her back to brainwash her again. Uh, to um, and the idea is that I guess there's this this, this internal war going on in John's head of whether or not any of the genuine feelings they had when they were together while she was a star sapphire are real. That's what this story plays around with. Whether whether when given full control and full reign of herself, will she choose to remember the good that they, they had or will she choose to go back to being a Green Lantern And he murderer? gives her that choice. 100%. Whether remorse or vengeance. Remorse or vengeance. So um, when John's ring... Oh. Sorry, uh, John Stewart and Fatality. Fatality is the name of her uh, Green Lantern killing self, but her name is Yara, Yara Sinril. So, 
Uh, when John's ring sends him to Zaramon, he busts into a royal building with no time to spare, demanding to know where she is. He explains that he is tethered to this she and that he knows her heart is being attacked. The royal leader tells him that she, a.k.a. Yara, is right here and explains that they are returning her to a state of emotional bliss with the violet light of love. Stuart accuses him of brainwashing her, to which the leader says, Aren't you the one who couldn't save her homeworld, leaving her to be the last of her race? Which then in turn made her into a Green Lantern killing assassin. And Stuart's like, yeah, 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 my bad. But regardless of what happens, it should still be her choice. Yeah, I love it. It's like, we're... Everything that we're doing here, Mr. Stewart, is just undoing your mistakes. Right. Like We're not doing anything but fixing what you can't fix. As a matter of fact, they, they circle back to this idea of Zanshi as a planet being destroyed in the very beginning of the Justice League run by Scott Snyder. Um, he's so like crippled by those mistakes that um, it, it, you know, I know from reading recent comics how much failing these people. And failing Yara means to him. So, like, to the point where, like, you saw how he busted in here. He didn't ask any questions. He just busted in uh, and, and started, you know, asking, well, not, not asking questions, uh, kicking ass. Oh, he was kicking ass and taking no names. Um, the royal says he doesn't care what, what Stuart thinks. So, John, determined to save Yara, goes into battle against the royal guards. He calls on Yara to wake up, and through their tether, she hears him and assists him with taking down the guards. John goes to escape, but begs Yara to take his hand, and she does. With their combined powers, they travel three light years away, and Yara has her free will back. The story ends with us being left to guess if she would choose revenge or remorse, but she also goes and reaches out for his hand at the end. And that was beautiful. Yeah. So with that backstory, I like it a lot more. Um, But I needed that backstory. But again... I always like when they do something like this that makes me do some homework and find out about some more interesting characters in DC's universe. So I totally dug that. I asked you off air to come up with some couples that you think uh, were missed in this or could have could have lightened up this book or or I had a handful. Uh, let, let's go uh, back and forth. Back, was it back and forth. All right. So you want me to go first? Okay. Sure. So my first one, straight up, I think that this shit was missing some Canary and Arrow. Canary and Arrow, man. This was missing so much That's Canary and Arrow. That's one of the biggest love stories in DC history. For eight history. years. This was on TV. Like, that's all you knew. Half of Arrow's fucking lore. Justice Unlimited. All over. Everything. Yeah. Arrow and... Arrow and Canary. And I don't even want... I didn't even want them being Arrow and Canary. Get, you could have given me something where you took it straight from the characteristics of... From the TV show, yeah. Give give me that. Give me Armel and whatever her name was as could any of those chicks, yeah. any of the two of them. Give me anything and just have them like have dinner in like his one of his penthouses and just go recant episodes of the series. Like you could have, you could <laughs> they have. And in general, you know, they have enough experiences to call back to those two. It's there very so interesting much that stuff they that they could have done there. I wished, and you could have replaced um, Perry and uh, Waller for yeah. that. Yeah, I would have loved me some Queen and some Laurel. I know I might be a bit too cliche, but uh, I, Superman. And I Lois. already knew you were gonna pick them. That's why I didn't put them on my list. I swear to God, like, uh, <laughs> it just was weird to me because I'm as this as I've started this. We're, we're almost on the five year anniversary of all this, and as I've done this, you know, I've grown 
a more a bigger appreciation for the Superman character, his mythos, and the characters that surround him. And uh, Lois Lane, um, comic book Lois Lane, I think is a very interesting character. I think um, th- there's there's a story that I've always wanted told, and I spoke to Yogi about this, about um, the sacrifices that Clark makes because he chooses to spend time with Lois. The idea that if he decides that he wants to go take out out to get ice cream, twenty people might die, because in those ten millions minutes, of people might right, die. Yeah, and I think that there's something inherently very interesting about that. Or maybe the times where she just lets him go because she understands it, and I'm pretty sure and she does. You, you can get an inner monologue from her. It's like I understand the sacrifices I'm making, but am I selfish to want more time with? One hundred percent, right. It's like, but for every wow. but for every second that there's a kiss, it's a, somebody's baby is in a burning building. And I and I know that that's the right thing to do, but you know I still love him and I want my time too. Everybody gets their time, but me. Like there's so much you could have done, but it's so funny because I was writing them in my head, and I literally threw Superman and Lois on the list. Yeah, that that, that but was. But the, also the show's coming up too, so it's like, it's like I was gonna throw them on my list, and then I'm like, yeah, but you already know George's that's gonna be his first pick, and that's hilarious that that was your first pick, madness. It cracked me up. Madness. You got another? Yeah. All right. So another one that I was going to do that I really think would have done good on there was Raven and Beast Boy. Ah. Now, would I'm, you do that instead of? I would have done, um, done that instead of Kid Flash and Red, Red Arrow. Yeah. Specifically me personally because I would want people to get hyped for the new season that is actually coming of Titans. We're getting like our third season. So I would want people to have that more of that. But yeah, there's so many good stories you could have done between, or take so many different characteristics. You could have even drawn it in the animation style of Teen Titans Go. Yeah. But if you would have given me Raven and Beast Boy, yeah, I would have loved it. So uh, one that's not uh, particularly, um, particularly traditional, but it's one of my favorites, is Swamp Thing and Abigail. Swamp Thing and Abby. Um, they have a bit of a gothic relationship, but man, like the gravitas that Swamp Thing has as a character, I would like to see him uh wax poetically about love and and what the green and eternal life means and all that kind of stuff. Oh, it's there. that episode that he gave her the that spores thing where yeah. he made her see what she what he wanted her to see the hallucination. In the plan. comics, he goes to hell. He fight. He goes down to hell to fight for her soul. So like they they that is huge. They're amazing. That's they're amazing huge. together and um. I, I think they should have done something with that. Uh, and I almost have those two together. It's like Superman and Lois and Swamp Thing and Abby because I feel like if you thought that Swamp Thing and Abby was too crazy, then you can go super traditional with Superman and Lois, you know? Um, I think anybody that gave the Swamp Thing season one a chance would know Swamp Thing and Abigail have an amazing connection. Just yeah. an actual, genuine, amazing connection. My third and final one, I decided to go out of the box with this one. Instead of it being... Love and romance. I'm gonna go bromance. Booster Golden. Gonna... Uh... <laughs> Hell, did you? Know? Blue Beetle. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I would have. I would, have, go I would have loved a Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. Just the two of them sitting in their couch, watching like the worst rom com movies, drinking beers, making fun of it. But also, there's like this subtle depth on how single guys feel like two single friends or how or how much their friendship can look like a relationship on the outside yes there could yeah. have been so <laughs> much like hey you ever get you ever wonder if uh people think that we spend too much time together 
Shit I don't like know. That. What do you mean? It's like, well, I mean, like, you know, we're never really seen with anybody else but each other. Like, there's so yeah, many. They, so you're basically Mac and Dennis break up. You want them to do a I comic I would have loved a Mac and Dennis where they break do, up. Where they spend a day without each other. And, and then at the like, end, they uh, realize they yeah, missed yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I could have seen that. That would have been yeah. perfect. Oh, man. And you would have been so nuanced. You didn't have. They didn't have to do just romance. You could have given us a bromance love. Yeah. You could have given us a friendship love. I felt like they were doing that with with Harley and Ivy in a sense, in, in a small sense. Well, they became they were still, friends first. That's why. But yeah. there's still a, an established relationship now canonically. So it's like, nope, that's a relationship. That's not a friendship. Yeah, I would have loved the friendship. So I have three left, but I'll go through them quickly. I think that you could have done something with Wally and his wife Linda, mostly because new readers don't know. New readers are not too hip to their relationship. Uh, she means a lot to him. She was his lightning rod. His she used he used her to be able to accomplish some really big, you know, uh, battles. And and she is like I said, she's she's so core to that character. So I thought they should have went that way. But when I wrote that down, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm doing too much like, uh, you know, regular human and superhero thing. So another one that I thought. What the hell? Mira and Aquaman. I think Mira is a badass character in the comics. And she's a queen. You know, like, she's a badass. She handles her own. So does Aquaman. Two people that that can respect you and all that kind of stuff, I think would have been extremely uh, important and extremely poignant. And last but not least, two characters that people may not be too familiar with, Apollo and Midnighter. So they are two canonically gay superheroes. Um, with, oh yes, and um, them they, you know, they they were around. It, when I read the Sergeant Rock of it all, like I liked the message, but then I was like, "There's they, there are gay to... couples to celebrate that you can yes. actually celebrate." I I like the message here. I wish they would have integrated it with an already a gay couple. Maybe Apollo and Midnight or me. Meet one of these old guys, and the old guy tells a story or something like that. You understand? Like, they could have been a way to marry those two things. Actually, you're 100% right. They could have had a conversation with a gay soldier that had to watch his lover in World War II die, and then he had to go back to his home. uh, He had to go back to USA, marry a woman, have a family, and then always be in like that closet. And then the house of it all, if you will. Oh, man. And so I thought that that could have been a way that they, they go with it. Obviously, I'm not a comic writer. I didn't plan any of this out, but I thought that those those stories in general could have been ones that they could have. Not gonna lie, one more I would have. <laughs> this is just me being Dan because I gotta be Dan. Uh-oh. I would have loved if they would have done freaking uh, Laura, uh, what's her name, Laurel and uh, Dryberg, Lori and oh, Dryberg. Oh my god, I would have. I would have liked the Silk Spectre and Night Out and uh, Night Silk Owl. Spectre and Night Owl of it all. Yeah, I would have liked to Aren't just just give us birds. the same date that they had in the actual comic, but just throw John one. in there for all time's sake. There you go. There you he go. He likes to watch, but <laughs> man, <laughs> but I hope you guys like to watch or listen to the Major Issues podcast. We're over a hundred and sixty episodes at this point. Hundred and sixty. It's absolutely crazy. We got Bonkers. some big things coming up. You know what I that I you know what I'm thinking, Dan. Superman and Lois is coming up. Uh, the show. I believe I think it it as of time of this it would have come out yesterday. If you're listening to this when it comes out, it would have came out yesterday. Um, oh, we're already in the future. That's right. Yes. So, with that being said, and with Justice League right around the corner, I do think that I'm gonna go with the votes 
on this one, the next episode of CBC Commentaries. Yes! <laughs> Which you could ex- you could uh, get to by going to patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. The next episode of <laughs> CBC Commentaries <laughs> will be Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. I love democracy. <laughs> um, uh, yes. Uh, so... I'm going to change his opinion, ladies and gentlemen. You, there is, I'm going to do it. There's going to be some either, – either I'm going to change his opinion or he's going to finally make me say that was dumb. We're, we're going we're gonna to figure it out. But first and foremost, thank you for listening uh, to this episode of the podcast, whether you read the comic or you didn't. Uh, we, we're all about love here and through all the love you guys have been able to show us, it's how we're able to do this each and every week free of charge. Every episode of the Major Issues podcast is available at comicbookclick.com, which has every single one of our articles. It has little bios about each member of the click. It's where you go to buy exclusive merchandise designed by me for a comic book click, including uh, comic book click merchandise uh, and just regular superhero uh, merchandise in general. Masks, gloves, mugs, uh, uh, phone cases, all of that. But, Get your masks over here. You need masks. Don't go outside without one. And if you're you going to go. go outside with a mask on, it better be comic book click. Put a comic book click mask on. I'm telling Let you. Let people understand that you are a clicker. That's it. Uh, but yeah, comic book click is the one stop for all that. Our merchandise, our articles, every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. It's also the quickest way to get in contact with us because you can just write. Right there's a there's a there's a oh yeah there's a meet the click section you but can there's email a, in every episode there's a word box what do you call those things text box or whatever where yes. you can sit there and you can post a comment on any oh, yes, given episode yes, yes there's a little comment thread right at the bottom yep there's a comment thread on any single episode and you can also hit the contact us thing and email us uh, your takes on any previous episode any episode that we end up doing. Uh, in the future, hell, I'm Dan the up. Comic Book Man at gmail.com. There you go. So you can let Dan the Comic Book Man at gmail.com. You send your review, send me hate mail if you want. Tell but you me know what's you crazy? The thing is, though, when you get to comicbookclick.com, let's say you get to an episode that you like, and let's say, um, you 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 go to play any given episode, and it wants you to download a podcast app, but you already have a podcast app. How the hell are you going to listen to the Major Issues podcast? Well, let me tell you. We're available on every single podcast Literally, that is are, out there. We have gotten there. That's Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Pandora um, yeah, wherever. iTunes. I've seen us on iTunes. Yeah, we're on iTunes. Uh, so go... If if you don't find us anywhere there, which is a damn lie, the quickest way to find <laughs> us lie. is to go to Google and type in Major Issues Podcast, and will be the first result to pop up. Because the first always, two pages, basically, always talking about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things that come to comic media. And the more that our, the more content we produce, the more we flood Google with comic book click major issues and all that, which is fantastic. We're trying to me. kick the doors of your algorithm, people. That's it. But we can't do it alone. So reach out to us on our various social media accounts. Facebook.com slash comic book click. Instagram at comic book click. Or you can use that hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at major issues CBC on Twitter. Uh, Dan, where you want the people to follow you? Uh, you can follow me at Dan's Comics CBC. That's on Instagram. Dan's Comics CBC. That's my Instagram handle. You can email me at danthecomicbookman at gmail.com. You can send me anything you want. Send me pictures of your dogs. I like that. Yeah. So go ahead. And also, if you want to send us something oh so special, our fifth year anniversary is coming up for Comic Book Click in April. 
So why don't you rate and review us on iTunes? It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't like and become the newest, hottest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Thank you, for, guys, for all the support. We keep growing it. It's all thanks to you. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Don't forget to rate and review. Don't forget to join us next week. And I think that we're about done with this. We are wrapped up on love. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this is our Love is a Battlefield recap and review. And remember, whether you're a hero or a villain, whether you're a, a clown stripper or some plant lady, remember we all deserve love. Remember that I'm a one-track lover on a two-way lane. <laughs> remember, we are young, heartache to heartache. We stand, no promises or demands. And remember, I am your buddy. Love is a battlefield, but remember that you, yes you, are worthy.